So I had a dream the other night. Because I watch a lot of Food Network shows when I'm not doing true crime stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had a dream Jeffrey Dahmer was the host. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Alton Brown's Good Eats, but with Jeffrey Dahmer. All right. Who were the judges? There were no judges. It was Jeffrey Dahmer teaching you how to cook people. Well, they said it tasted like pork. I'm intrigued. So you'd probably find a good pork rub. And then I was thinking, what other reality TV shows would you see Jeffrey Dahmer host? The Bachelor. The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> Big you, Brother. The Bachelor's good because it would be Juicy like... Juicy Shore. <laughs> well, there's no host on Jersey Shore. Yeah, there's no host. I was thinking maybe Mythbusters. You know... Because he's testing the theory of can you make a sex zombie? <coughs> and that myth with- we'll find out gets busted today. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, welcome to Creeps in the Crypt. This is Eric. As always, I'm joined by Sam. Christian. Hold down that enthusiasm, yeah. Christian. Wow. I'm I'm so excited. Must be so I'm excited. I'm very excited. This is I'm sorry, I'm a little sad right now. We're ending a chapter and it's just kind of your favorite. He's my favorite. Dahmer is gonna be done and dusted after tonight. I could with the Well, I won't spoil it. (laughs) No, don't. I have many theories of like wanting to sit down with this man and that me and him would be like little unicorns frolicking through a field and have a great time. I feel like that would be... I don't think he would fuck you, though. No, that's the whole point. He wouldn't try to fuck me, so me and him could have a great friendship. All right. He could say fucked up shit in his own way. I could say fucked up shit in my own way. And then he would look at me probably like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And then around and around we go. Yeah. Round and round we go. <laughs> so where we left off with Dahmer last week is he just moved in to his swanky new bachelor pad with a mummified penis and head in tow. What could else could a girl want? I mean, talking about setting up the feng shui. I mean, it really is. The Riki chakra that's going on in his house. It's like, no, I have to move the 57-gallon blue drum into this corner to get the right (laughs) flow. The dick box has to go over here. I mean, I feel the same way. I'm okay with it. And after Jeffrey... Mine weren't attached to somebody, but I get it. The dick Mm. box needs to go over there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I've seen your dick box. (laughs) I hate it here. Got some very colorful options in there. But where we left off with Jeffrey is after he moved in, he threw himself a little housewarming party and committed the last couple murders of his first blood frenzy. And then kind of got into a state of depression where he had some suicidal thoughts. And we're going to pick right back up into his second blood frenzy. Mm-hmm. So, Sam, without further ado, take it away. In... February of 1991, Jeffrey saw 17-year-old Curtis Strotter standing at a bus stop near Marquette University. According to Jeffrey, he 
lured Curtis into his apartment with an offer for of money for posing for nude photos with the added incentive of sexual intercourse. I mean, it's a win-win. Why I would mean, you not take that money and sex? <laughs> Jeffrey then drugged Curtis, cuffed his hands behind his back, and strangled him to death with a leather strap. Okay, never never mind. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Then he dismembered Curtis, keeping his skull, hands, and genitals, and photographing each stage of the dismemberment process. I wonder if he made, like, a little flip book. I think he just like posted. He made like a mural. On Have he made wall. like a little flip book with like stick figures, like of the he stick made, figure holding the dick? He made like a gallery wall. Oh, I love it. That's what I. That's what Where I was he at in like the. He whole could be, I'd have the shrine. He could have. He could be an interior decorator. He could have worked for BDM. Yeah. Jesus. Christ. Oh, I th- I, first I thought BDSM is what you said. <laughs> well, he could have worked for that too. I said B- yeah. Well, yes. He did like some bondage. <laughs> Well, that was his, his M.O. anyway. <laughs> Less than two months later, on April 7th, Jeffrey met 19-year-old Errol Lindsay walking to get a key cut. Errol was heterosexual, so he was straight. Jeffrey lured Errol to his apartment where he drugged him, drilled a hole in his skull, and poured muriatic acid into it, which which is is also what you clean pools with. It's battery acid, basically, right? Well, we we clean pools with muriatic acid. That's a a pool chemical. Huh. Learn something new every day. I'm so glad I sleep, or I swim in a saltwater pool. All I can think of right now is the scene from Frankenhooker. Where the the med student, the main character, like drills the hole through like into the back of his head to like get rid of his headaches. And think. Yeah. You know it's not actually a saltwater pool, right? There's no salt in the water. It's just a different chlorination system. Mm. Damn. Huh. <laughs> not my parents owning a pool maintenance company or anything. <laughs> welcome welcome to Creeps in the Pool. <laughs> It is hot as fuck down here, okay? Sometimes we take a little dip. According to Jeffrey, Errol awoke after this experiment, which Jeffrey had conceived in the hope of inducing a permanent, unresistant, submissive state. So, like, basically a zombie. A sex zombie. Yeah, weird. Saying, quote, I have a headache. What time is it? In response to this, Jeffrey again drugged Errol, then strangled him. His experiment failed. Yep. He's like, oh, maybe I didn't get the amount of acid right. Well, and he didn't do something right. He decapitated Errol and kept the skull. He then flayed Errol's body, placing the skin in a solution of cold water and salt for several weeks in the hope of permanently keeping it. Reluctantly, he disposed of Errol's skin when he noted it had become too frayed and brittle. Oh, man. It's like sheets of papyrus. (laughs) (laughs) My ancient manuscripts. (laughs) Oh, no. They just break. What is he making? The fucking Necronomicon? (laughs) Maybe. Bound in human flesh. Yep. He should have taken notes from Ed Gein. Maybe he did. Not well. He's making fucking lampshades. 
I don't know. He did have a dick shrine. Why did you not have a home decor store? In jars. <laughs> Instead of like home goods, it's Dom goods. Dom goods. <laughs> right, is, is that like a sex BDSM store or you're a Dom? It's, it's both. It's oh, a okay. BDSM store slash. Over here's my handcuffs without the key section. Yep. We have all one time use only. <laughs> if you want to use them again, you're going to have to saw his hands off. That's what I do anyway. And then guess what? We move over into the interior decorating side of the store where you can use said hands. You can get their shrines. And make them yeah. into knife holders where it's just like this. I get maybe never got holder. the, the yes. big black leather chair, but you can. Yeah. <laughs> make them as the, instead of like legs for a a chair you could have like real hands legs holding them up or legs whatever you're feeling the fucking hand chair from uh the ladies man yeah it's just a chair made out of hands though i'm okay with that <laughs> By 1991, fellow residents of the Oxford Apartments had repeatedly complained to the building's manager, Sopa Princewell, of the foul smells emanating from apartment 213, in addition to the sounds of falling objects and the occasional sound of a chainsaw. Sopa contacted Jeffrey in response to these complaints on several occasions. Although he initially excused the odors emanating from his apartment as being caused by his freezer breaking, causing the contents to become spoiled. On later occasions, he informed Sopa that the reason for the resurgence of the odor was that several of his tropical fish had recently died and that he would take care of the matter. Maybe he was doing ice sculptures. Maybe you shouldn't have tropical fish in Milwaukee. I don't know. I, I don't know. On the afternoon of May 26, 1991, Jeffrey encountered 14-year-old Lao teenager named Conorak Synthesymphone. This is the most famous Dahmer story. This is the one that people that haven't deep-dived Dahmer know about. He uh, found, or met him, I guess, on Wisconsin Avenue. And unbeknownst to Jeffrey, Conorak was the younger brother of the boy that he'd molested back in 1988. So he's got a two-for-one deal. I'm so sorry. Yeah, he got that family good. <laughs> he really fucked them up. Yeah, tell me about it. He approached Conorak, offering money to accompany him back to his apartment to pose for Polaroid pictures. Little did he know he actually would pose for Polaroid pictures. According to Jeffrey, Conorak was initially reluctant to the proposal. How did he not know that he... Because this is... Jeffrey went to trial for this one, didn't he? For the brother? Yeah. Isn't this the one he went to fuck? Yeah. How did he not know? All white people look alike, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I would remember the, remember the face. Anyway, that thought just came to me. Anyway, so Conorak was reluctant to accept this proposal before changing his mind and accompanying Jeffrey to his apartment where the boy posed for two pictures in his underwear before Jeffrey drugged him into unconsciousness and performed oral sex on him. Because remember, our boy Jeffrey can't come unless they're motionless. Jesus. 
I don't even think he can help us this one. <laughs> On this occasion, Jeffrey drilled a single hole into Conorak's skull, though through which he injected muriatic acid into the frontal lobe. Before Conorak fell unconscious, Jeffrey led the boy into his bedroom where the body of 31-year-old Tony Hughes, who Jeffrey had killed three days earlier, laid naked on the floor. According to Jeffrey, he, quote, believed that Conorak saw this body, yet did not react to seeing said body. Oh boy, my experiment's working. <laughs> Phase one complete. Yeah, right. Likely, you know, because of the pills and the Now lay acid. still. Lay very still. Oh, God. Conorag soon became unconscious where Jeffrey drank several beers while laying alongside him before leaving his apartment to go drink at a bar. And then he bought more alcohol. Because he said, Eureka! My experiment has worked! Yeah, he, he, was, he was taking a victory lap. <laughs> He's like, ah, yeah, I figured it out. Fuck yeah. In the early morning hours of May 27th, Jeffrey returned to his apartment to discover Conorak sitting naked on the corner of 25th and State, talking in Lao, with three distressed young women standing near him. Jeffrey approached the women and told them that Conorak, who he referred to by the alias of John Mong? I that guess, sounds right. I think that's... Anyway, saying that he was his friend and attempted to lead him to back to Jeffrey's apartment by his arm. And the three women told Jeffrey that they'd called 911. Upon the arrival of two Milwaukee police officers... Officer John Balserzak, that, and Joseph Gab Gabrish, Gabrish, yep, Gabrish, sure. Jeffrey's demeanor relaxed. He told the officers that Conorak was his 19-year-old boyfriend and that he drank too much to following a quarrel and that he had frequently behaved in this manner when he was drunk. Note that this child is 14 years old. Right, and he looks. 14 years old. Yeah. He's a baby. But the less dead, because it, it's it's a gay thing, the cops are like, oh, that's icky. And right. They don't, and they don't investigate really any further. Pretty much. he. So Jeffrey said that Conorak, or John, whatever, had drank Jack Daniels that evening. And the women were exasperated. Then one of the trio attempted to indicate to the officers who they'd, they'd seen scrapes on Conorak's knee and believed him to be intoxicated that Conorak had blood on his testicles and was bleeding from his rectum and that he'd seemingly struggled against Jeffrey's attempts to walk him back to his apartment prior to their arrival. The officer basically told her to butt out and shut the hell up and not to interfere in a lover's quarrel. Shortly after the arrival of the Milwaukee police officers, three members of the fire department arrived at the scene. The first responders also examined Conorak for injuries and provided a yellow blanket for the police officers to cover him with. 
One of the three believed Conorak needed treatment, but the officers, the police officers, directed the fire department personnel to leave. Shortly thereafter, Officer Richard Parbkin? Yeah. Sure. Arrived at the scene. He and Officer Gabrish, followed by Officer Balserzak, escorted Jeffrey and Conorak back to Jeffrey's apartment as he repeatedly commented on the general crime in the neighborhood and of his appreciation of the police. Inside his apartment, in an effort to verify his claim that he and Conorak were lovers, Jeffrey showed the officers the two semi-nude Polaroid pictures he'd taken of the kid the previous evening. Although Officer Balserzak said he smelled something unusual, Officer Gabrish later stated he noted a strange scent reminiscent of excrement inside the apartment. I believe the the term, eh, it smelled like somebody took a dump in there. Yeah. This odor emanated from the decomposing body of Tony Huge, which how he differentiated the smell of death. These are the two shit. worst fucking cops on the force. Literally, they were just like, yep, all good here. Smells like shit, but you know. If there is a silver lining, they were suspended after this. <laughs> after good. this all came out, but then they were well, reinstated. That's good to know. They were reinstated. Well, you know. People make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. This was the one that, this was a big This was the, yeah. Fuck up. This is a big old oopsie. <laughs> oopsie daisy. Somebody's Je- pushing up daisies. Uh, 17 <laughs> people. <laughs> Jeffrey stated that to investigate this odor, one officer simply peeked his head around the bedroom, but didn't really take a good look. The officers then left with a departing remark that Jeffrey take good care of Conorak. This incident was listed by the officers as a, quote, domestic dispute, end quote. And it's said that they thought this whole thing was fucking hilarious. Like, they called back to the station and one guy was like, I'm going to get deloused. Like, it was a whole thing. Like, they made jokes on the radio over it. Mm-mm. mm but they weren't joking when they found out who he really was. Well, the, no, they weren't. Upon the departure of the three officers from his apartment, Jeffrey injected another dose of hydrochloric acid into Conorak's brain. On the second occasion, the injection proved to be fatal. The following day, May 28th, Jeffrey took a day's leave from work to devote himself to the dismemberment of the bodies of Conorak and Tony Hughes, and he kept both of the victims' skulls. On June 30th, Jeffrey traveled to Chicago, where he met 20-year-old Matt Turner at a bus station. And he was in Chicago to go to Pride. Like, their big no Pride. Way. Yeah. I want to say he was... He, he never missed Pride. Like, that was, like, his big I'm thing. I'm coming out. I just want to let you know. I'm going to fill your skull. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was way off tune, but y'all got the picture. Oh, oh my. In a picture you did paint, madam. Was it a Picasso? What, what was he filling the skull with? I don't know. His I dick. Did. That was all. Okay. Come. <laughs> that didn't really go with the. Muriatic acid. Who sang that song? Was that, I don't know. Was that Aretha Franklin? I'm coming up. 
Now you will, every time you, every time you hear that, you're going to be like, I'm going to fill your skull. <laughs> Just want to let Fucking you know. Matt, ex- <laughs> Matt accepted Jeffrey's offer to travel to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot. At the apartment, Jeffrey drugged, strangled, and dismembered Matt and placed his head and internal organs in separate plastic bags in the freezer. Matt was never reported missing. Five days later, on July 5th, Jeffrey lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger from a Chicago bar to his apartment on the promise of spending the weekend with him. He drugged Jeremiah and twice injected boiling water through his skull, sending him into a coma from which he died two days later. How close is he to Chicago? I think Milwaukee's like maybe... 45 minutes to an hour it's not far oh yeah. yeah it's not a it's not a long trip oh i don't know why i thought it was like it's a, a hop long and a way skip way. and a jump basically okay on july 15th jeffrey encountered 24 year old oliver lacy at the corner of 27th and kilbourne Oliver agreed to Jeffrey's ruse of posing nude for photographs and accompanied him to his apartment, where the pair engaged in tentative sexual activity before Jeffrey drugged Oliver. On this occasion, Jeffrey intended to prolong the time he spent with Oliver alive. After unsuccessfully attempting to render Oliver unconscious with chloroform, he phoned his workplace to request a day's absence. This was granted although the next day he was suspended. He placed Oliver's head and heart in the refrigerator and his skeleton in the freezer. Damn, how does his skeleton fit in the freezer? How does he have this much room? Yeah. What is this? I think he had an extra freezer. In a, Was it in his apartment? We're mm-hmm. still talking about his apartment, right? Yeah. He had an extra freezer. Yeah, it was a one-bedroom apartment. It was quite roomy. He also had room for a 57-gallon blue bucket full of torsos. Those in his leg. I was like in his bedroom. Mm. Is he bathing? And like in, in his it? closet. He's bathing in it, wasn't he? No. No, that was an acid. They were dissolving in acid. Oh. Yeah. Ugh. But he did need two whole skeletons to complete his shrine. Instead of the throne of swords, the iron throne, it's yeah. the it's throne of dicks. Game of dicks. <laughs> He literally did play Game of Dicks. <laughs> Four days later, on July 19th, Jeffrey found out that he'd been fired. Womp womp. Upon hearing the news, Jeffrey lured 25-year-old Joseph Braidhoft into his apartment. Joseph was strangled and left lying on Jeffrey's bed, covered with a sheet for two days. Gross. Did he just like sleep in the same? Did he like yeah. not wash his sheets or anything? No, no I, I will post them. a picture on oh, our no Instagram. No fucking wonder he stunk. Yeah, I will post a picture on our Instagram of Dahmer's bed, and there is just blood all over the wall. He he took a whole new meaning to having like well, he would lay propped animals. up in bed with the the corpses. Was he and just shit. like it was like a human p- pillow? It's my pillow. Like a bo- it's literally a body pillow. <laughs> oh my god that's my one for the episode yeah, that's good you're welcome thank you 
On July 21st, Jeffrey removed the sheets to find the head covered in maggots. Yeah. No. At this point, the maggots had found his killing field. And it was an all-you-can-eat fucking buffet. Well, he didn't clean up after himself, so no wonder. I'm surprised they took him this long to find it. So he had to decapitate the body. He cleaned the head and placed it in the refrigerator. Oh, he's so gross. He later acidified Joseph's torso along with the two other victims he'd killed in the previous month. On July 22nd, 1991, Jeffrey approached three men with an offer of $100 to accompany him back to his apartment to pose nude for photographs, drink beer, and simply keep him company. One of the trio was 32-year-old Tracy Edwards, and he agreed to accompany him back to his apartment. Now, I will say this. Tracy Edwards' version of this is a little bit different. But he also ran the talk show circuit. Yeah, so he had to so, he had to beef it up. Yeah, you know, that and he didn't go back to like take nude photos. He went back to Dahmer's apartment because apparently in his version, Dahmer invited him and his three friends at the mall to a party. And he's like, Oh, don't worry, my girl Dahmer's like, my girlfriend will be there. I guess he was talking about like one of the corpses in his bed. But None of them are female, though. Apparently in... Uh, it doesn't matter. They're dead. In Ed, in Tracy Edwards' And they're missing story, their genitals. He's like, yeah, he gave my two friends the wrong address. And gave me the right one. So he went back to the, like, Dahmer's house. Would he write on three separate sheets of paper? Uh, see, that's where the story's like, eh, clearly... The math ain't mathin'. Well... He he didn't want to be outed as a homosexual in the early like in the early nineties. Mm. Mm. Which there's there's several cases where killers have been let go because the person didn't want to testify because they would have to come out as gay. Mm. So Or at least enjoying that side of things. Mm. Upon entering Jeffrey's apartment, Tracy noted a foul odor and several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor, which Jeffrey claimed he used for cleaning bricks. That just doesn't even sound right. Anyway, after some minor conversation, Tracy responded to Jeffrey's request to turn his head and view his tropical fish. What is this? Look at the flowers. Look at the Shut flowers. Up. No. So then Jeffrey placed a handcuff on Tracy's wrist. Or no, his wrist. And then Tracy's like, what the hell's happening? And Jeffrey unsuccessfully attempted to cuff his wrist together. Then he told Tracy to accompany him to the bedroom to pose for nude pictures. While inside the bedroom, Tracy saw nude male posters on the wall and The Exorcist 3 was playing. He also saw the 57-gallon drum in the corner from which a strong odor was emanating. Oh, shit. There's like three torsos in there. Yeah. Maybe room for a fourth. Probably. Sounds like it. Jeffrey brandished a knife and informed Tracy that he intended to take nude pictures of him. In an attempt to appease Jeffrey, 
Tracy unbuttoned his shirt, saying he would allow him to do so if he would remove the handcuffs and put the knife away. In response to this promise, Jeffrey simply turned his attention towards the TV, and Tracy saw him rocking back and forth and chanting before turning his attention back to him, back to Tracy. Dead dicks in my mouth, dead dicks in my mouth. Oh That's a fun chant. Yeah, there you Just go. Just take the dead out for me. You like them live? Yeah. We got a live one here. I like live ones. He, so Jeffrey placed his head on Tracy's chest, listened to his heartbeat, and with the knife pressed against his intended victim, and he informed Tracy that Jeffrey intended to eat his heart. Could you imagine the full body chill at that point? No. Uh, your fight or flight would kick in immediately. I don't even know what I would do. If I was just like, where the, where the fuck do I go from here? I would be asking the how. Like, how? Like this. Yeah. Just knife through the gut. Whatever. Yuck. In continuous attempts to prevent Jeffrey from attacking him, Tracy repeated that he was Jeffrey's friend and that he was not going to run away. Tracy had decided he was going to either jump from a window or run run through the unlocked open front door upon the next available opportunity. When Tracy next stated he needed to use the bathroom, he asked if they could sit with a beer in the living room where there was air conditioning. And Jeffrey said, sure. They walked into the living room when Tracy exited the bathroom. In the living room, he waited until he saw Jeffrey have a momentary lapse of concentration before requesting to use the bathroom again. Dahmer's just fucking salivating at the murder he's getting ready to do. He's like, oh, yeah, this is the good one. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit. When Tracy got up from the couch, he saw Jeffrey wasn't holding the handcuffs. So Tracy punched him in the face, knocking Jeffrey off balance and ran out the front door. At 11.30 p.m. on July 22nd, Tracy flagged down two Milwaukee police officers, Robert Roth and Rolf Muller, at the corner of North 25th Street. The officers saw Tracy had handcuffs attached to one of his wrists. He explained to the officers that a freak had put them on him and asked if the police could remove them. When the officers' handcuff keys failed to fit the brand of handcuffs, Tracy agreed to go with the officers to the apartment where he stated he had spent the previous five hours before escaping. When the officers and Tracy arrived at apartment 213, Jeffrey invited the three inside and acknowledged he had indeed placed the handcuffs upon Tracy. Although he offered no explanation as to why he'd done so, at this point, he divulged to the officers that Jeffrey had also brandished a large knife upon him and that this had happened to be in the bedroom. He made no comment to this revelation, indicating to one of the officers, Officer Muller, that the key to the handcuffs was in this bedside dresser. As Officer Muller entered the bedroom, Jeffrey attempted to pass Muller to get the key himself and the second officer, Officer Roth, informed Jeffrey to, quote, back off, which 
fair. Because they probably fucking stunk. Yeah. I feel like these two guys are doing the good cop work. Mm-hmm. They're like, mm, something's not right here. Something, does, something smells fishy. Spidey senses. Dahmer's not like, oh, that's my boyfriend. He's got dementia. He can't remember that we're dating. You're right. In the bedroom, Muller noted there was indeed a large knife beneath the bed. He also saw an open drawer, which upon closer inspection contained scores of Polaroid pictures, many of which were human bodies in various stages of dismemberment. Muller noted the decor indicated that they had taken that they had been taken in the very apartment in which they were standing. He's like, oh, shit, this is the studio where the, all the, the photos happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait a minute, that dresser looks familiar. Oh, wait, it's right there. Muller walked into the living room to show them to his partner, uttering the words, these are for real. These are the real deal. When Jeffrey saw that Muller was holding several of his Polaroids. My pictures! Bubbles! Those are my artwork. That's mine. He fought with the officers in an effort to resist arrest. The officers quickly overpowered him, cuffed his hands behind his back, and called a second squad car for backup. At this point, Muller opened the refrigerator to reveal the freshly severed head of a black male on the bottom shelf. If you listen to Muller talk about it, he's like, I opened the fridge and there was a black guy's head in there. God. As Jeffrey lay pinned on the floor beneath Officer Roth, he turned his head towards the officers and muttered the words, quote, for what I did, I should be dead, end quote. Yeah, I think Dahmer was ready to get caught. You think so? Well, think about it. He didn't try to drug this guy. I feel like this is a half-assed attempt. Mm-hmm. Maybe he actually felt like he had a friend. I, th- I feel no. he will, yeah. I'm with and that. I feel like he had more time. Since he was unemployed, yes. And well, he, yeah, that. I think he actually, Tracy actually tricked him into thinking he had a friend. Yeah, I think he was taken, I think he was caught off guard by Tracy telling him that, oh, yeah, we're, we're, dude, we're friends. Like, let's sit and have a beer, watch some TV. I think he didn't know quite what to do with that. Possibly. Because he never had a friend before. I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend. Oh, God. We can do arts and crafts together. <laughs> Well, uh, if you want, you can go ahead and help me with this penis painting I'm working on. Painting with the real blood. Whose penis are we using? Uh, Well, it's a black (laughs) penis, but I want to paint it white so I can suck it. Just suck it it. Yeah, that's what I used to do. (laughs) They found, like, several painted penises. Gross. It's like my fucking dream world. Fuck. (laughs) What, big white dicks? No, just dicks in general. A more detailed search of the apartment conducted by the Milwaukee Police's Criminal Investigation Bureau revealed a total of four severed heads in Jeffrey's kitchen, a total of seven skulls, some painted, some bleached, were found in Jeffrey's bedroom and inside a closet. In addition, investigators discovered 
collected blood drippings on a tray at the bottom of Jeffrey's refrigerator, plus two human hearts and a portion of arm muscle, each wrapped inside plastic bags on the shelves. In Jeffrey's freezer, investigators discovered an entire torso, plus a bag of human organs and flesh stuck to the ice at the bottom. Yeah, it was like around this time that uh, Dahmer was exclusively eating human flesh. Like, that was the only thing he was eating. It's free. For like the last month. It's free. Is it though? It, it's free. He's not hunting fucking deer, Christian. <laughs> you don't go to jail for killing deer. At least it's I don't like, think. yeah, this is some wild game I caught. <laughs> this is some big game. It's the other white meat. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Was they that call- two this episode? Yeah. I had two good ones in. Fucking hell. I'm on a roll. Upon their search of apartment 213, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and in the 57-gallon drum, three further dismembered torsos dissolving in the acid solution. He's building a man. Build a man. Build a boyfriend. Yep. He's like, I'm going to stitch these all together. And then they'll be my friend forever. This one has my favorite heart. Yep. This one's got the right biceps for me. He and this is the my favorite I see torso. It. I see it. He's like, any parts that I'm not going to use, I'm just going to eat. Fucking hell. <laughs> A total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of Jeffrey's victims were also found. In reference to the recovery of body parts and artifacts at 924 North 25th Street, the chief ME later stated, quote, it was more like dismantling someone's museum than an actual crime scene. I told you. He was setting up. It's like his version of the Mutter Museum. (laughs) His own personal Guggenheim. Yeah. Oh, no. He's like, this is my jack-off hut. No. <laughs> this is my cum corner. Yep. Nobody fuck with my cum corner. I don't think anybody wanted to. I see everybody looking at it. Does he build sandcastles? Like with you it? got like no. Just, <laughs> with the Come dust on. of the exploded skulls. Yes. Oh fucking hell. Is that, is that three? Yeah. That's three. He puts a fingertip at the top as a little flag. With the flesh hanging off. Yep. <laughs> Fuck tonight. I love it. I think I'm just delusional at this point. <laughs> She's going with me on this journey. <laughs> Normally, Sam's like the reserved one trying to keep it together. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go on this crazy journey with Christian. Fuck it. <laughs> July 23rd, 1991. Jeffrey was questioned by Detective Patrick Kennedy as to the murders he had committed and the evidence found at his apartment. Over the following two weeks, Kennedy and later Detective Dennis Murphy conducted numerous interviews with Jeffrey, which, when combined, totaled over 60 hours. He waived his right to have a lawyer present throughout his interrogations, adding he wished to confess all as he had, quote, 
created this horror and it only makes sense I do everything to put an end to it. This is why I think he he was ready to get caught. I truly think he he just he he was done. I think he he just hit the end of his rope. Maybe. In his 160-page confession, he readily admitted to having murdered 16 young men in Wisconsin since 1987, with one further victim, Stephen Hicks, killed back in Ohio in 1978. And he told them everything, including the jogger story. Oh, yeah. Like, he spared no detail. Yeah. Jeffrey readily admitted to engaging in necrophilia with several of his victims' bodies, including performing sexual acts with their viscera? Viscera? Viscera. Viscera. So basically he would take, like, the meat he had cut away and then jerked off with it. He made a fleshlight? He made a real fleshlight. (laughs) Did he put a light at the end? He could have. (laughs) Kept the tip of it was his dick the spirit warm. of the the victim. Oh, that kept the dick, the tip of his dick warm. I think they were long cold by that point. I don't know. I don't know. What do you do? Throw it in the fucking microwave for a minute? Yeah. We tried to bake it. He tried to bake a skull. Defrost it for a second. You guys are fucked. <laughs> Don't you love us being on the same side I, again? I do. So, uh, he so one of the acts was jacking off into the open rib cage of one of his victims, describing the increase in his rate of killing in the two months prior to his arrest. Jeffrey stated he had been completely swept along with his compulsion to kill. Adding, quote, it was an incessant and never-ending desire to be with someone at whatever cost. Someone good-looking, really nice-looking. It just filled my thoughts all day long. Murder fairy. That was his This is Jeffrey. full desire, was he only killed the ones he thought were the most beautiful. Because apparently Dahmer would have sex with, like, dudes all the time. But he could only get hard if they were, like dead what yeah so what did he just having floppy so dick he was sex? just catching yeah, he was the bottom yeah oh, and he, he hated bottom. being the bottom oh nobody likes to be the because he didn't have any power about it oh, he was probably a power bottom too no he hadn't he had no power that's why he hated being the bottom no i'm saying like the power that doesn't mean anything we're gonna have to revisit this off the podcast of what a power bottom is yeah because i don't think i know what All right, let's keep going. (laughs) In addition, Jeffrey confessed to having consumed the hearts, livers, biceps, and portions of thighs of several victims he'd killed within the previous year, often tenderizing the flesh and organs prior to consuming them in meals flavored with various condiments. One of them was Grey Poupon. (laughs) One of the funniest things to come out of Jeffrey's confession was a shoe-on-the-other-foot moment that happened back in 1988. This is my favorite. While serving a year 
in a work release program at the Milwaukee House of Corrections for drugging for the drugging and molestation of a 13-year-old boy. Which was... Which was the, the Conorak's so, brother. Yep. He was given a day pass to celebrate Thanksgiving with his family. After the meal, he left and went drinking in gay bars, ended up talking and drinking with a man at the scene of many of his abductions, the 219 Club. Although this time, he was the victim. After blacking out from drinking too much, he woke up the next morning hogtied in the man's apartment, suspended by hooks and ropes from the ceiling. The man was anally penetrating Jeffrey with a candle. He screamed and demanded to be let go, and unlike Jeffrey himself, the man showed mercy and released him. Jeffrey told this story to police, pointing out that that time, quote, he was actually the victim. He admitted to, when he got back to the corrections facility, he passed several inches of candle wax. Gross. I didn't know that's where you were going to go. I thought you were going to talk about all of his candle fetishes. That's where I was going to go with it. I was like, oh, he found a new fetish that he really yeah, likes. meat candles. <laughs> He's like, wow, the wicks fit right in the urethra. This will go great in my shrine. Jeffrey Dahmer was indicted on 17 murder charges, which was later reduced to 15. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Much of the testimony was based on Jeffrey's 160-page confession and from various witnesses who testified that his necrophilia urges were so strong that he was not in control of his actions. The defense sought to prove that he was in control and capable of planning, manipulating, and covering up his crimes. They basically said that because he had to get drunk to commit the crimes, that that showed forethought. So that was part of it. Sort of the premeditation. Yeah, it I was, have to do this so I can do that. Yeah. So that that's basically how they got him. The jury deliberated for five hours and returned a verdict of guilty on 15 counts of murder. Jeffrey was sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms, a total of 937 years in prison. At his sentencing, Jeffrey calmly read his four-page statement to the court. He apologized for his crimes and ended with, quote, I hated no one. I knew I was sick or evil or both. Now, I believe I was sick. The doctors have told me about my sickness, and now I have some peace. I know how much harm I have caused. Thank God there will be no more harm that I can do. I believe that only the Lord Jesus Christ can save me from my sins. I ask for no consideration. End quote. It was very Ed Kemper of him. Jeffrey was sent to the Columbia Correctional Institute in Portage, Wisconsin. At first, he was separated from the general population for his own safety, but by all reports, he was considered a model prisoner who had adjusted well to prison life and was a self-proclaimed born-again Christian. Gradually, he was permitted to have some contact with other inmates. Yep, he found God's loophole. You just have to... Get that's, baptized. That's and, anal sex is God's loophole. Well, this is the other. This is the murder one. Got it. Where 
you can commit all the murders you want, and then you go, oh, I I want to be absolved of my sins, get baptized, and you're good to go. I'm sure he did some of other gods loophole. Mm-hmm. And was the power bottom. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> On July 3rd, 1994, a fellow inmate, Osvaldo Duruthi, attempted to slash Jeffrey's throat with a razor embedded in a toothbrush as he sat in the prison chapel after the weekly church service was concluded. Jeffrey only had superficial wounds and was not seriously hurt in this incident. According to Jeffrey's family, he had long been ready to die and accepted any punishment which he might endure in prison. On the morning of November 28, 1994, Jeffrey left his cell to conduct his assigned work detail. Accompanying him were two fellow inmates, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The trio were left unsupervised in the showers of the prison gym for approximately 20 minutes at 8.10 a.m. Jeffrey was discovered on the floor of the bathrooms of the gym suffering from extreme head wounds. He had been severely bludgeoned about the head and face with a 20-inch, 51-centimeter metal bar. His head had also been repeatedly struck against the wall in the assault. Although he was still alive and rushed to a nearby hospital, he was pronounced dead one hour later. Jesse Anderson had also been beaten with the same instrument and died two days later from his wounds. According to Christopher Scarver, Jeffrey did not yell or make any noise as he was attacked. Immediately after attacking both men, Christopher, who was thought to be schizophrenic, returned to his cell and informed a prison guard, God told me to do it. Dahmer just doesn't have great luck around Thanksgiving. (laughs) No. (laughs) He gets sodomized by a candle and then Mm -hmm. a barbell through his face. Yep. He, so Christopher Scarver also thought that, like, since the guards left, that that was their way of telling him to do it. I mean, that's what was going to kill Dahmer. That's was being in general population. Yeah, I think he knew that. They they knew he was gonna he was gonna get killed. I mean, there was already an attempt on his life once. Right. He should have been put in solitary after that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they cared that much. But they don't have the death penalty in Wisconsin, so. No. He, he, uh, that's all, the only option they had. Later on, Christopher would add more to this in an interview and say that he did it because of Jeffrey's creepy sense of humor, which included turning prison food into fake limbs covered with ketchup to resemble blood. The Post quotes Jeffrey's former prison minister as saying the convict would make jokes about this cannibalistic past. Quote, if he saw a guard that was nervous and standing near enough to hear him, he would say, quote, I bite. The newspaper quoted the pastor Roy Ratcliffe as saying, quote, the usually the guard would jump away and that would make Jeff laugh. I mean... I can appreciate that twisted sense of humor. I do too. I would. I would probably do it also. Yeah, I mean that is morbid as it is. It's kind of funny. In Jeffrey's will, he'd requested upon his death that his body be cremated as soon as possible, but some medical researchers wanted his brain to 
to be preserved so it could be studied. Lionel Dahmer wanted to respect his son's wishes and cremate all remains of his son. His mother felt that his brain should go to research. The two parents went to court and a judge sided with Lionel. After more than a year, Jeffrey's body was released from being held as evidence and the remains were cremated. So, that's Jeffrey Dahmer. So, his, well, I have a couple things. Okay. Um, so, Joyce, in an interview after uh, his mom, mm-hmm. Joyce's mom, she said in an interview after his death, she was like, is everyone happy now? Like, he's been bludgeoned to death. Is that good enough for everyone? End quote. And then... After Jeffrey's death in 1996, a group of men from Milwaukee raised more than $400,000 to buy the items that he used on his victims, like the blades, saws, handcuffs, even the fridge that was used to store the body parts, and they destroyed it all in uh, efforts to like distance the city from I bet Jeffrey. Zach Bagans is so upset about that. Right? Whenever I was like I was like, "Oh my god, a whole, they they bought all this." And I was like, "Oh, what the fuck? They destroyed it all?" That was buried in an undisclosed location, too. In August of 2012, Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood home in Bath, Ohio, the very place where he murdered Stephen Hicks. Uh, went up for sale. The owner and musician Chris Butler said that the property would make gr- a great home as long as the buyer could, quote, get past the horror factor, which I could. I could. Then in March of 2016, Chris Butler put the house up for rent for $8,000 for the week of the Republican, Republican National Convention. And as of July of 2017, the home was no longer listed on Zillow. Mm. So there's a wild theory out there that Dahmer may have killed John Walsh's son. I literally have that right here. It was in my notes. I was literally about to say it after you were done talking. Him and uh, the uh, there was another guy. I forget what his name is. I don't. I can't remember. Lee Harvey Oswald. No. No. No, That's where the the fuck did that come from? I don't remember who. Jesus, Uh, you are tired. Otis Tool? No, it, I think it's Otis something, but we'll cover that in another story. Yeah. Now, one fun factoid I have is they actually asked Richard Ramirez what his opinion was on Dahmer, and he described him as a wolf in, a wolf in sheep's clothing. He would further say of the notorious serial killer, this is a guy you'd think it'd be okay to go to his house, have a drink, and smoke a joint. But it would be your last drink because next you'd find yourself handcuffed, and next to the next thing you know, this guy would be eating you. <laughs> when when the Night Stalker's like, oh, I wouldn't fuck with that guy. Well, John Wayne Gacy also commented on Jeffrey Dahmer while the trial was going on, and he said, "quote I don't know the man personally, but I'll tell you this: that's a good example as to why insanity doesn't belong in the courtroom." Because if Jeffrey Dahmer doesn't meet the requirements for insanity, then I'd hate to run it. I'd hate like hell to run into the guy that does. Shit. So even John Wayne Gacy thought he was cuckoo. 
Like, he thought us. that he was crazy. <laughs> That's why Dahmer is like probably the most prolific serial killer in the United States. He might be the most unhinged. Because other serial killers think he's crazy. Yeah. Other serial killers are like, I wouldn't want to fucking be locked up in a room with that guy. Like, fuck that. Locked. John Wingacy stuffed people in his crawl space. And he wouldn't be caught dead. He thought he... he John Wingacy thought he was crazy. And John Wingacy was crazy. Yeah. He's... It's, it's some wild shit. But, guys, that is our series on Dahmer. Yes. We hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed it. And I can't wait for the next episode that we do. Me either. It'll be a good one. We uh, we got some special stuff planned for the rest of the summer. Just mm-hmm. to let you know. We're like halfway through. We are officially halfway through. Are we really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Dang. We hit the halfway mark. We are at the halfway point of our summer of slaughter. Yep. Well, no, it's a good bad. one. It has been a good one. It's if Jeffrey Dahmer was here, it would be halfway through his progression of dismemberment. Mm. <laughs> then he would have to lay with the podcast for a couple of days, <laughs> which I highly recommend you guys do and share it with your friends so they can lay with the podcast for a couple of days and get caught up on all the episodes. Yeah, we got some good stuff coming. And without further ado, Christian, drop those socials. First and foremost. Thank you guys so much for the love the last couple of days. We really, really appreciate it. It has been bitching to cover this serial killer. He is a personal favorite. I mean, all jokes aside, he is so fascinating to me, and I really, really enjoy him. So I just want to thank you guys for that. That being said, make sure you guys are downloading, have your auto downloads on. I actually had to return mine on for some of my other podcasts so make sure that you guys have your auto downloads on make sure you guys are sharing the show please leave us a review we actually really like to hear you guys' opinions good bad ugly let us whatever. know what you think mm-hmm. happy to hear it i know i'm the annoying one so it's cool you're not annoying <laughs> you're not annoying <laughs> i'll just throw that out there seeing if it's there i'll eat whoever said that i know you will what part? That's how you, that's why I keep my hair so red. It's the blood of my victim. <laughs> what what part would you eat? Mm-hmm. You don't know. You know, it takes the same amount of force to bite through like the full size carrot that it does a human finger. So if you can bite through like the big carrots. You can bite through a human finger. Damn. Don't get not any the ideas baby with my carrot. I see the little carrot. Start biting your toes off like a fucking ferret. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, on that note, pray for my toes and we'll see you next Friday. (laughs)